I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. You're Puerto Rican? Yeah, Puerto Rican. Yo, what's going on, mi gente? Welcome back to another episode, a bonus episode, and a special episode of For Christ Cultura. I am super excited for this. I'm super excited for season number three. And this could be like an intermediate state between season three and season two. But my name, as always, is Jonathan Gonzalez, a.k.a. John the Presby, a.k.a. El Presbicano, a.k.a. The Biggest Little Nobody, a.k.a. Mexican Food and the Keto Diet do not mix very well. And a.k.a. I am a first-time home buyer and owner now, officially... So, I'm excited about that. And as Ooh. always, I am here with my co-host... Carolina, a.k.a. Caro, a.k.a. La Colombiana, a.k.a. From the 305, a.k.a. The Hippie, a.k.a. The Food Lover, and a.k.a. The Gospel Gangsta. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> So today is a special episode, like I said, because of two things. Number one, it's a special episode because today marks the one-year anniversary of having Gato on the podcast. Woo! Woo! So uh, crazy. crazy. Time has like flown by. I can't believe it's been one whole year. I can't either. I remember we were doing a Christmas episode, a bonus episode, and it was me giving this whole podcast thing a try. <laughs> And from there, it's just like, I dove in, and here I am. <laughs> and here you are. Yes, yes, yes. So a Christmas episode today, one year anniversary for Gato, and it's also a special episode because we have our very good friend, El Señor Dan Warren. Say hello to everybody. Hey, guys. Great to be here. I've been trying to remember... Uh, how to do AKAs, I think, let's see, AKA Daniel El Travieso, Tino de Tacos de Camarón, AKA El Barbón, AKA, I don't know, really, <laughs> AKA really excited to be here with you guys. Yes, yes. So, first of all, let's talk about how I met you. I think because that's right. an interesting story. So, would you like to share that story? Yeah, well, I, I came out to preach at... Mount Rose OPC in Reno, and you, I believe, were running the sound booth and getting, you know, me all mic'd up for preaching and getting me the recording afterwards, and I remember we hit it off really well. It was it was exciting times to see a Latino in an OPC. I mean, I look pretty white, but I'm really excited when I see my Latino brothers at a Reformed Church. That's really exciting to me. Yeah, so we met, I don't know when that was. I was still in seminary. Yeah. I know you're no longer at the church, but we've still stayed in touch and we're both doing, you know, podcasts and radio. It's, just, it's exciting to do this together again. Even though Dan is not uh, Mexican by descent, but just there's a there's a movie called Blood and Blood Out and there's a character there. His name is Miklo. And he says, I'm he's like, he's like, I'm white on the outside, but I'm brown on the inside. And I feel like that's you, bro. 
right? Right. Yeah. You know, you heard of like a Coco who's brown on the outside, white on the inside, whatever the reverse of that is like, that's, that's what I grew up. Let's talk about you real quick. So who are you? uh, Where are you from? And, and how did you learn Spanish? Yeah, sure. So my name is Dan and I'm a pastor in the PCA as of six weeks ago. So here in Temecula, California at Christ PCA. I'm the music leader here, too, and uh, husband to Mariana, who is Mexican. She was born in Sonora. And I grew up on the mission field in Sinaloa, Mexico, like narco territory, all that jazz. And I lived there from age 12 to 18 uh, with my family, who still serves down there as church planning missionaries. Mariana's family is still there. My sister married and lives there. So we're actually going down to Sinaloa for Christmas for two weeks. I'm really excited about that. So that's why I, you know, learned Spanish, you know, long story about how Mariana and I met after I moved away to college and kind of on a, a trip back, we, we met each other, but I've been married for 10 years next year. We have one daughter, Sofia, Sofia Alba, who's two and a half this month. Yeah, two and a half. So that's, that's kind of the family life and, and where I learned Spanish on the radio side of things for three years, well, almost three years now, I've been the director and speaker of a ministry called El Faro de Redención. It's the Spanish ministry from Haven Ministries. You may have heard the program on the radio, Haven Today, going way back like 86 years ago when it first started, it was called Haven of Rest. Unlike Jonathan's really great sound effects leading into the podcast today, we had a quartet and an organ playing under everything. And it was like, it was kind of a a put you to sleep kind of program. It was a bedtime (laughs) program. So it's come a long way since then, but it's the oldest, you know, weekly or, or daily Bible teaching broadcast in the U.S. And now for the first time, we have something in Spanish. So that's pretty cool, especially having started in like Hollywood, California. It's kind of a crime that they didn't have Spanish for 86 years. Uh, But now we have Spanish and this program is directed specifically to Cuba. So that's a whole nother story. But we've been sending Bibles to Cuba since 2015. To date, the ministry has sent about 200,000 Bibles to Cuba that our listeners have, have, you know, supported that project. And then we started a radio program. Radio isn't allowed in the communist country of Cuba. Christian radio, that is. Really? And so we broadcast, yeah, Christian radio. There are no Christian radio stations. There is one little, like, 30-minute spot given once a month to a certain group of Christians in Cuba. Again, like we always say in Cuba, es complicado. Cuba es complicado. So we broadcast through Transworld Radio off the island of Bonaire, which is right off the coast of Venezuela. So the program, it consists of, it's a 30-minute program. It has uh, about a 20-minute sermon. has some music. We try to use Cuban artists for that. And then we have a producer in Havana who's kind of the man on the street interviewer. So he goes around and collects testimonies and interviews with Cuban pastors, Cuban Christians. It could be, you know, on topics or it could just be, hey, how'd you come to know the Lord? And we weave that in. I like to say kind of like NPR style, but you know what I mean? We just kind of weave it into the, the program interview style so that it's, it's like there's a sermon, but there's also this like Cuban interview element to it. It yes. makes it really unique. Yes, yes. And it's not just for Cuba at this point. Like it's gotten to the the point now where we have listeners all over the world. We never thought this Cuban program, and we haven't tried to really like promote it outside of Cuba. But there's about thirty to forty radio stations across Latin America, South America, some in Spain. 
across the southern U.S. that are carrying Elfato. And then the podcast, of course, goes everywhere. I think we have one faithful listener in Ireland. I don't know if we found the one Cuban in Ireland, but that's kind of wow. fun to be able to That's awesome. So that's a little bit about what Elfato is. And as we get into the topic, you'll get to know more about what we're really all about. Yes. So I have a question. Yeah. You mentioned a ministry is sent Bible to Cuba. Is this a haven? Yeah, so currently we're not sending Bibles to Cuba. We've kind of moved from the Bible phase to the teaching the Bible um, okay. on, on the radio program. But in 2015, Castro, when, when Fidel was still in power, he began to allow Bibles to be imported again for the first time since before the revolution. Wow. And so that was an open door that a, that a lot of ministries like ours took to send Bibles. There are places in Cuba where there had not been a Bible distribution for 30 years. I mean, I could tell you stories of churches that had one Bible to go around the congregation, so they cut the Bible up and, mm -hmm. and you know, spread the different books among the families. And not everybody liked that idea, but people were fed that way. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's just, mm -hmm. it's incredible to think. You know, Yukato being from Florida originally, just right off the tip of the coast of Florida, you know, this country yeah. that our nearest neighbor, you know, next to Mexico, maybe, or in Canada, has yeah. um, gone through this. But the church is growing. It's really exploding. Lots of people are coming to know the Lord. What's really mm -hmm. needed is sound Christ-centered teaching, which is what El Fado is all about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, part of the reason why, like, I'm personally, like, just excited to, like, meet you and, like, have this interview, it's because our church here, well, in Miami, Aldo, the pastor, started a relationship with a church in Cuba, mm -hmm. in La Habana, and so since 2016, we've been going, like, almost every year to just build relationships with the church there, and, like, we see the need for, like, Christ-centered mm -hmm. uh, teaching and yeah just the fact that like i mean you are you guys are doing that haven is doing that it's mm -hmm. just amazing yeah yeah bro i think everybody knows that there is a need in well not everybody but i think us as latinos we we see the need very very deeply in our countries and the cool thing about your podcast is that yeah you guys like we, you're saying it was specifically kind of for cuba But you guys have grown out of that. And and literally everybody that I know that speaks Spanish, like mi, mi familia, mis tíos, my mom, like everybody, I send them your podcast uh, link, bro, or your tune in. I've been, I've been really big on uh, pushing that everywhere I go. If anybody asks like, hey, do you know any, any solid Spanish biblical uh, podcasts or radio stations? You're like the first one that I send up there, bro. And I appreciate that. And, and the cool thing is like, You know, I, I went to Westminster Seminary here in California. I'm a pastor in the PCA, but we're not like, you know, being super, let's walk through the Westminster Confession on yes. today's program. But, you know, mm -hmm. there's all that theology behind the scenes or maybe better as like the foundation, but we're just trying to show people Christ and, and how that all connects. Yes. You know, like recently we started doing um, these preaching conferences in Cuba and we had about 600 pastors, if you count across three different events we had. And we're talking like one was hosted at a Nazarene seminary, one was hosted at a Seventh-day Adventist church in Pinal del Rio, and one wow. of the events was hosted at an Assemblies of God, Asambleas de Dios in, in Olguin. Wow. And then you had Free Will Baptists, you had, you know, Pentecostals of all different stripes, all, you know, all sorts of people coming to these things. And they had never heard about Christ-centered preaching. 
pastor came up to me after the, the, the event at the Nazarene Seminary, big, tall Afro-Cuban, comes and puts his arm around me, older guy, and he says, I want to tell you, I've been a pastor for two decades, and no one has ever showed me how to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Wow. So there's just this need, and, and, and you see it's like, I know Reformed people can get there, you know, they can kind of start fighting like, oh man, but that's not how you see this, or, you know, we get... I think if you can if you can take away some of that lingo and just talk to people about how to see Jesus in the Bible, uh, you know, it's something that's so like eye opening, especially yes. for people that, you know, we kind of have an abundance of riches in the reform world as far as that goes. But there's a lot of people that have never heard about this. Yeah. 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 So, Kato, what is our episode title? Let's tell these people. What's the episode title for this? Our episode title is Todo Cristo desde toda la Biblia. Mm, perfecto. Uh, perfecto, perfecto, ¿cierto? Encanta. Eh, pero antes de entrar al tema, wow. Before we we end, we. Hey, hey, the cool thing about Dan, the cool thing about Dan is we could do it in español o lo podemos hacer en inglés. Right. That is awesome. I just like flipped. I read the title in Spanish and flipped to Spanish in my brain. But before we get into the topic, because it's a Christmas episode, I wanted us to play like a cool Christmas theme game of Would You Rather. I want a hippopotamus to play with and the So are we ready for let's, that? Let's do it. Let's do it. So I'm going to be asking the questions to both of you. So I guess you can, you, you both don't have to answer the, actually, you, you both can answer the same question. Maybe we'll see here who's actually more Mexican. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty... Tamales or pozole? <laughs> actually, yeah. Would you rather, for Christmas edition, tamales or pozole? Pozole, hands down. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think pozole as well because over here around winter time it gets so cold. It gets cold. It's cold right now. So when you have a hot, warm plate of pozole, it's just it just like warms up your heart, but warms up like your stomach and your soul, bro. It just the only the only, the only exception is if you go to posada after posada and, and and visit after visit with church members and all you eat is pozole for like a week yes that, that can happen i won't say if that's ever happened that's <laughs> happened yes uh, you get kind of tired of pozole at that point okay so pozole it is how about would you rather christmas in mexico or christmas in the u.s oh mexico why is that mexico? bro pozole <laughs> you can make it here though. you can make it in cali but well, at least where i grew up in mexico christmas in mexico meant you know in sinaloa we would have our church service and go outside and, and i play guitar so we play rancheras all night and drink champurrado and have pozole and everybody singing until midnight giving everyone a abrazo after midnight yes uh, you know you can't beat that all around a fire, sitting there with friends and, and family in Christ. So that that's, to me, that's like the best Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about how Christmas is done in our home countries that is so much more spectacular, big, more much like a, like a two-week event. I think because where, where I'm from, we do Christmas, we start the Christmas with like Las Posadas or, or whatever. Or 
I don't know the days or the names or I don't, I don't know exactly, but it's like December, like mid-December, and then we finish like Christmas season in in January sixth or ninth or something for for mm. El Día de los Reyes Magos. La Rosca. Yeah, and, 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 and La Rosca, exactly. So of course I would pick Christmas in Mexico. Okay, I have a funny one. Okay. Would you rather have it be true that Christmas trees feel pain and scream when you cut them down or have it be true that Christmas cookies feel pain and scream when you eat them? <laughs> I don't even I don't even know how to feel about that. Huh? I'm going to go with the tree. I'm going to go with the, the tree. tree. Eating a Christmas cookie that's alive just doesn't sound very Right. <laughs> oh no, the tree. Yeah, tree is my final answer. I would rather. I guess I'll go with the cookie. <laughs> it reminds me of that uh, the Shrek, the Shrek. Uh, yeah, that, the little monster. cookie. You're a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's my favorite character in that movie too. Okay, last one. Would you rather listen to Rancheras? for Christmas or Christmas I guess we can say villancicos which are like Spanish Christmas carols or songs or Christmas songs in English oh that's hard (laughs) English on that one English? yeah I think I'll go with English on that one if I'm allowed to go with English I'll go with English on that one Yes. You're allowed. You're allowed. I think I think I would go with English too. And, and and the reason I say that is because is because I don't know. I mean, we live in the United States and I think we even growing up, I listened to around Christmas time a lot more English Christmas Christmas music whether it was hymns or estamos en las tiendas like we were shopping or everywhere you just feel the Christmas spirit because of all the the English songs. Gotcha. Yeah. So since that's the last one, I'll answer it as well. And I would personally would prefer Villancicos just because I was born in Colombia and listening to Villancicos just takes me back. Mm -hmm. Like it's this nostalgia. I'm just like back Christmas in Colombia growing up. And it's just like, yeah, this is Christmas music. Yes. So you sent me a you sent me a video last year about you doing Christmas at your house and you guys were doing something specifically for Christmas and it's something that Colombians do right it was like you guys were singing and I don't know explain that real quick you spend every day going from house to house and you do a novena which is basically like you go through like the journey of of Jesus of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem until Jesus is born in the in the nativity, in the stable. And so every day you read the story where they're at, kind of like in that day, you pray. It's very, it's a, I would say like it's like a very Catholic um, tradition. And we do a lot of singing. Like we close off like the whole prayer thing with a lot of singing. So, yeah, that's... We haven't done any this year because of COVID, but that's usually the tradition. Mm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what posadas are, right? We, we it's pretty much the same thing. Jesus's trip to 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 the major and how 
how everywhere he goes, he gets denied. <laughs> he gets denied a, a place to stay. Personally, like we're going to get into this right now, but I know personally, bro, just reading the Bible that way and then hearing the Bible preached that way, bro, it was, was life-changing, transforming, bro. It was mind-blowing, but it was life-changing because no longer are you seeing yourself as the as the i guess doer of the text right when you read mm. when you read genesis or when you read De deuteronomy or leviticus or when you read like first samuel you know like you you're reading that and you're just like wow wow like i don't mm -hmm. i don't even know what to say about that like and or or do you think like why is that even the bible like Because, you, you know, we hear the stories about, like, Jesus and, like, you know, the golden rule. And, like, you know, it's 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 a lot of things that are put on to you to do, right? So mm -hmm. so when when I heard about uh, Christ-centered preaching and I started seeing it in a, in a lens like that, I realized that, no, it's actually all about Jesus. Like, the Bible is all about Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah, like... Yeah, it's amazing. It, it is. It totally opens your eyes. I mean, I went through that same thing. You know, I grew up in a very... A very Bible saturated, you know, family and, and church environment. And, you know, the Bible was taught, you know, the doctrines of grace were taught, but it wasn't until I really was, you know, getting close to, to going to seminary where I, I latched on to some of these teachers that were showing me, how do you, how did the apostles read the Old Testament, for example, or how, mm -hmm. you know, how, how do we go about seeing, like, what is the big picture of the Bible and why is it all about Jesus? And so, so I always, I'm always careful not to bash, you know, groups that are doing the hard work of like, you know, studying the scripture sermons are based in scripture, but there can definitely be a lack of that Christ centered emphasis, you know, which is, I think something that really needs to be injected into a lot of church communities, whether it's the Latino community, I mean, the white American community, the Cuban community, I think there's always a need for that. Yeah. So. The, the slogan of your podcast is La Luz de Cristo desde la... No, hold on. La Luz de Cristo desde toda la Biblia para toda Cuba. Mm -hmm. And we got it para todo el mundo, you know, just since we, we've grown a little bit. So quickly, what does that mean, bro? What is that slogan to you? What does that mean? Well, you've touched on it. I mean, and that's where, you know, this topic can be so vast. I want to try mm -hmm. to figure out how we can really give some practical ways to apply this. But it really is saying, you know, you're not the center of the story. It's kind of another way of putting Haven Ministry slogan, which is telling the great story. It's all about Jesus. You know, that doesn't translate as well into into Spanish. So we decided to go with the lighthouse. You know, we into a place that's so dark, both with hopelessness without getting political, you know, but a place that's so dark with hopelessness, a place that's dark with, you know, occult religions like Santeria. A uh, place that's dark with people, you know, longing for something better. A place where the, the youth are totally disillusioned with any kind of religion. And so it's almost a post-Christian Christian culture among the youth. You know, Cuba needs the light of Christ. And we believe, I know you guys believe it. That's why we're doing this podcast. We believe that you find that light, not just from Matthew 1 to Revelation. We find it from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of your Bible. And so... Whatever topic we're talking about, whatever book we're doing, you know, we've got, we, we do a variety of different kinds of things, like whether it's systematics, like, you know, a series on the attributes of God, or if it's, you know, a series on Ruth and Redemption is another series we've done, the gospel according to Joshua, looking at, you know, the life of Joshua. 
and the conquest and how do you find how do you find the gospel in the conquest and you know it gets, it gets really dicey but we're confident that wherever we stick our, our nose in scripture we're going to find the cross and we're going to find some way that that leads us to Jesus legitimately you know not just making this stuff up and so that's that's kind of the, the ethos of El Fado whatever we do we want it to connect with Christ and we really think that we can do that and do justice to what the Bible really is really means you know yeah, for sure. I think it's a it's a it is a, a broad subject, and you could go a lot of places with it. The reason why we preach and we read the Bible this way is because of the apostles, right? Yeah, I mean, I so I think that the reason for me, anyway, my kind of journey into this was first understanding how did the apostles really interpret the Old Testament, you know, and. Mm-hmm. What I came to understand is that I think they saw Jesus in a lot of places where I wouldn't be comfortable seeing Jesus. You know, can you give that, an example? Yeah, yeah. So let's say, for example, I mean, just so for example, you know, Paul. I'm blanking on the exact chapter, but when he says, you know, the rock that followed you in the wilderness was Christ. But let's mm-hmm. say Matthew, where you know Matthew's gospel, where he talks about. Jesus, you know, fleeing to Egypt or, or Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt with Jesus and then coming back. And that that's how Hosea was fulfilled when it said, out of Egypt, I called my son. And you go back to Hosea, it has nothing to do with Jesus, mm. yet that's what the New Testament says it is. So you could say, well, okay, we can only do that in places where the New Testament clearly tells us so. But everywhere else, we just have to be really careful to stay super literal and only think about the original context. Mm. But as for me, like, I think that's that, that may sound like you're being careful, but the only person I trust to teach me how to read the Bible is Jesus himself and the apostles. You know, I mean, if we're going to learn how to read the Bible, who better to learn from than Christ and the apostles? And I think that that's exactly why the apostles do what they do. Go back to Luke 24. You have, you know, the classic text, I think, for this kind of topic the two disillusioned, you know, disciples on the road to Emmaus. It was our very first episode on El Fado in Camino a Emmaus. And you have these two disciples that are discouraged, disillusioned. They thought Jesus was the Christ. He's been crucified. He's dead, buried, and they think it's over. And then this stranger, stranger to them, you know, walks next to them on the road to Emmaus and starts asking them, hey, what's been going on? They're like, are you the only stranger who doesn't know? And Jesus is like, you know, it's almost funny but he's keeping their eyes closed at this point but then he rebukes them and says their eyes shouldn't have been closed in the first place because all of the things they've read in the scriptures and their scriptures are the old testament testified Mm -hmm. testified concerning him right Mm -hmm. and then a little bit later he shows up in the upper room and says it was it was already spoken beforehand in scripture that the messiah had to be crucified dead and buried for three days it's Mm -hmm. actually really hard to go to the old testament and find find where jesus was pointing to when he said buried for three days you don't find a prophecy that says jesus would be buried for three days but you do find jonah in the belly of the well for three days you do find other things that point to that i mean jesus even did that right when he gave the sign of jonah so the yes. son of man will also you know and he's he's using these these pictures of things that happened before that pointed toward this reality that's coming to him yeah i think something that has helped me to kind of like this just because this is also kind of new to me i like it's the 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 storyline of redemption like what's the point of christianity and the point of christianity is god redeeming humanity and what is it that he uses to redeem humanity it it's like the trinity it's jesus is the one who comes and like 
does everything that humanity could never do perfectly for us and so i think that's where even though that's like that hovers over my head as i'm like reading that the old testament like the point of this text is redemption now the nitty-gritty of it that's where it gets a little like it, it just gets confusing and i guess there's two questions. So how would you preach a text where it is not explicitly talking about Jesus? So kind of like the Jonah story. How, like what context do you have? Or like, how do you connect him being in the, the belly of a whale for three days to Jesus being buried for three days? You know, because it's not explicit there and people can take it as like, oh, like that's allegorical. Like you're not preaching the text. And so, yeah. Well, that one is easy. It was that, that's both questions how do you get there so the the second part yeah. uh how would you connect it how, how do you make that connection and the other part is like can one go overboard in trying to find sure. jesus in all of scripture sure yeah so the first i said that's easy with jonah because jesus told us jonah was about him okay so that that i think we should all mm-hmm. just agree there that you know whatever you do with the book of jonah you have to reckon with the fact that jesus said i give you the sign of jonah not just let me just use Jonah as an illustration of the point that I'm about to tell you. He says, This is the sign of Jonah. This is what Jonah pointed to. But mm-hmm. I think you can go somewhere where Jesus never mentions it. The apostles never mention it. And I do think you can go overboard. Let me back up before I give an example and just say the way I would go about this, the way I do it in Cuba is with baseball. Latinos really love baseball, Cubans adore baseball. Yep. Uh, so if you start with a baseball diamond, you, know, you have home base. That's where you're trying to bring people. You're trying to bring the gospel, the, the word, home to people. But there's all these things that have to be done to actually apply the point of Scripture to the person sitting in front of you, right? First thing you have to do is get to first base. And what I would describe as running to first base is identifying the text you're going to be teaching or preaching, you know, or, you know, looking out with your Sunday school kids or in, you know, home worship. What is the what is the piece of scripture that I'm going to be looking at? You know, am I going to go with the whole chapter? Am I going to go with you know three verses? And then just marinating in it, learning it, studying it, getting it inside you, praying about it, comparing you know the the different translations. For example, maybe you don't have you know original language experience. That's okay. Compare different you know translations. Where are the little differences that maybe you need to dig a little deeper in some kind of commentary or something? So just really getting to know it. That's that's going to first base. I would call that you know identifying the text. Hmm. And then you know the the and then the next thing you have to do. Sometimes what people do at that point is they they run straight to Jesus, right? So if you're familiar with where this is coming from, I'm taking this from Ed Clowney, what he calls the, the Clowney Triangle. But don't worry about it if you haven't heard it. What happens is people sometimes run from first base. Like like one time I remember I got stuck between first and second playing as a kid, and I ran into the outfield and just let the kid chase me trying to tag me. <laughs> you know, we, we you can do this the wrong way. And one of the ways you can do it wrong is you try to go from, okay, I've seen everything I need to see in the text. Boom, here's how you get to Jesus. Well, that's usually how you get allegory. That's usually how you end up with like, you know, Augustine, the classic example saying that the ark was like the body of Christ and the door was like the wound in his side. And you're just pulling stuff out of a hat at that point. You can't do that. What you have to do next is actually run to second base. Second base is what I would describe looking at the historical horizon, you know, that first horizon. So when, you know, the Israelites are standing at the base of Sinai and they're receiving the Ten Commandments, what in their historical horizon was this supposed to communicate to them? Oh, okay. Right. 
or the like, story of David and Goliath. When that was written, you know, into maybe the post-exilic, you know, book of First Samuel, and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm just trying to put in a little bit of context. Whatever the case, whenever it was, what was it trying? What was being communicated to the people at that moment? Right? What was the point? So, know, could, so, so, so reading the text and cont- contextualizing it to those people at that time. What did that mean to those people at that time? Right, because it actually was written to somebody who lived in a certain period of time, and it had a point for them. The Lord had something to show them with it, right? Mm, That's good, Um, bro. You know, and so from there, what a lot of times what happens there is people go from there, and then they run straight home and say, okay, this was meant to, you know, this text was meant to encourage people to obey God and always trust Him as faithful. Go you and do likewise, and they just run home with Mm, it. That's usually how you get to moralism. You know, it's not that that's not the point. It's not that it's not a point, but you still haven't seen what the point of this text really is in light of the whole context. So that's going to third. Going to third would be the the canonical context is what I like to call it. Just, you know, the whole Bible context. So you've seen, you've kind of gotten to know this piece of scripture and then you've taken it and like you've decided, okay, this is what it was really intended to communicate when it was written. But you're not done yet because we've received a whole Bible, right? And that's the whole context. And so, for example, David and Goliath, you know, when you take David and Goliath and you look at the canonical context, where else do we see, you know, a king who goes out to conquer for his people, this enemy who's raging against the glory of God and all of the people who are supposed to be fighting, they're cowering, you know, Saul doesn't go out. He's a horrible example of a king. Uh, David is the conquering king who defends his people. You know, maybe that's a classic example, Mm. but it's a good example. You know, so at that point you see, okay, in the whole picture, man, David really looks like somebody who we're introduced to later in scripture, maybe in Revelation 5, where we see the lamb who was slain, but standing seated on the throne. Here's the great king who actually conquers on behalf of us and his victory is our victory. You know, so there, what you've done, you haven't said, be brave like David. Okay, go home now and put that into practice. You've given people like this gospel, you know, encouragement that they can actually live out of. You know, another example, let's just say a, a, a verse that, or a passage that, you know, is never mentioned in the New Testament. Second Kings chapter 5. You have this Syrian general, right, Naaman, who's... It goes through this whole list of like his accolades, his AKAs, right? But the last AKA is leper. And it just drops like a bomb at the end of the description. And everybody hearing that, and you know, this was written to Israel, and you know, they would have been, there would have been this gasp, right? Because leper meant unclean. Basically, you're done. You know, you're leprous. You can't worship. You, and you know, this is a Syrian king, but you know, the Israelites listening to this knew what that meant. It was this sign of like sin. So, but what happens, you know, Naaman goes and tries to buy his, you know, healing. He goes and he, he brings his, all of this stuff, you know, with him and his whole entourage. And he shows up at Elisha's house and Elisha doesn't even come to the door to meet the king or to meet the general. He sends a servant out to tell him, okay, here's what you got to do. Go wash in the Jordan oh, yeah, River. Uh-huh. Yeah, I right? remember that. Go wash in the Jordan River. And Naaman's furious. He's like, are you kidding me? I, I've, I've been to the Jordan River. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a backwater yeah, compared to these mighty rivers, you yeah. know, that we, we got Euphrates. Like, what are you telling me? I got to go wash in the dirty Jordan River. This is ridiculous. Well, what you see throughout this whole story, what does he do? He finally, his, his servants say, Lord, is it not, is it, it's just a small thing. You know, if he had told you to do something like, you know, huge, wouldn't you have done it? If he had charged you, you know, 
everything you own for your healing, wouldn't you have given it? Just go wash in the Jordan. So this general goes and he you know, strips down, walks into the Jordan, and he comes up clean. So the story is the story of cleansing, but I think it's really a story if you think about how does the gospel of grace work in scripture? We can't buy our salvation. It doesn't matter how big and, 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 you know, powerful you are. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're a five-star general. It doesn't matter if you're the richest man in the city. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, the most popular person in your school. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. And there's nothing you can actually do to purchase that. You have to humble yourself and go about receiving cleansing the way God tells you to, which is to humble yourself at the foot of the cross. Wow. The gospel really tears us apart because we really think we should be able to contribute something but we don't contribute anything we come with nothing in our hands to give and when we come up from the foot of the cross our skin is clean like that of a baby i mean that's kind of the way it's described you know in in that story now we know it wasn't just cleansing it was actually conversion because naaman then says how do i worship when i go home what if my master wants me to go to the temple and it's kind of funny because he has all these ideas like well maybe i can go in but you know i'll kind of worship or i'll take a little bit of dirt from israel and then and, and it's funny elisha doesn't say well go read burkoff and you know let's have a 12-week discipleship program before we even think about letting you go he's like go in peace so i gotta trust that the lord's gonna be working on this guy even wow. as he goes back home to to syria I mean, that's just one way. I mean, and it's, there's only one way. There's lots of ways to preach Christ, I think, in a legitimate way. Sinclair Ferguson talks about it being like this radar you kind of develop over time. Old preachers that are really committed to this way of preaching, they're probably just, they can just sense it, you know? It takes some of us a lot more hard work when we're first getting into it. But I think that without making crazy connections, you can really put a story you know, in the context of all of the Bible. And then so when you take it home through, you know, just to wrap up the baseball analogy, taking it home, you know, you can't just leave it there and say, all right, you've heard the gospel, now go home and enjoy it. There is application. There is something to do, right, with this. That may be where you get into what is, how does this apply to, you know, to me in my context or to a Cuban in their context? What is this supposed to produce in my life? You know, what kind of obedience should flow out of this amazement at what the Lord has done? And that's how you really bring it home to people. Bro, that, there's, a, there's a lot there right there. I just, my mind right now is racing and I have a whole bunch of questions. Huh, let's see. Let's, okay. So I think your, your, your baseball triangle thing was, was really cool because I think all of us, because most definitely all of us have been in different churches, have been underneath different preaching, and have actually seen this, witnessed, heard this kind of preaching, whether it's going to first base and then going to Jesus or going to second base and then and then trying to bring it home and just teach moralism. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, now just, just like... Just like, you know, this person worshiped God, now you would do the same. Or just like this person was a leader, or just like this person was, you know, whatever, now you, you go do the same. And that's the message. Um, be like John the Presby, be like Caro, you know. <laughs> yeah, be like these people. Yeah. So so I think, like, we've, we've all seen those pitfalls that people fall into. And, and, and that's the thing that's damaging. So the reason why this is a big deal and reading... Jesus and all the Bible and the Old Testament is because, like like people say, ideas have consequences or the way you read scripture actually affects the way you 
understand the cross, understand yourself, and understand like Christianity in general. For sure. So if you're reading the scripture and it's all applying to you, then what are you going to do with it? And what happens when you can't do it? Where you can't be, where you can't be uh, like the rich young ru ruler that that can't give all his his possessions. You know, what happens when you don't measure up to that? The thing is, I think we got to be careful with too, and and I fall guilty of this too. We can't in and of ourselves, right? I can't follow Jesus by myself, on my own. You know, of my own power, I can't. But knowing the gospel is what allows us to actually walk in obedience. Not perfectly, of course not. But we shouldn't ever throw out this idea of obedience and change. And like, there's ways when we should be like, you know, so-and-so, this or that person in scripture. We should be able to follow the example of those who walk with the Lord and were faithful to him, right? Yep. But we can only ever do that if we have the sure confidence that because Jesus has actually done it and secured us forever, you know, even if we fall flat on our face, we're, we're saved, we're, we're forgiven. We're redeemed. That's the only motivating power, you know, that'll keep us from going insane, you know, trying to obey. Um, so I think that's important just to mention, too. And that's that's probably one big caution, you know, to people maybe first getting into this kind of like seeing scripture. Uh, it, it can be a problem where we just kind of sit back and be like, wow, so thankful for grace. You can never overemphasize grace. We have to remember we're actually enabled to walk in the spirit, right? And to walk in obedience to the Lord. That's, that's just one like additional thing i think we ought to remember yeah i just wanted to like say it's our our response to that grace mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's uh gratitude but then it just doesn't stay in just like this gratitude it's like wow like now i actually delight in doing in like honoring you in blank way whether it's at work whether it's with like family and knowing that like we don't have to do it to be made right with God, mm -hmm. that's part of the gratitude aspect because then we don't, we no longer have this weight on us where it's like, do this in order to. It's yeah, no, like, this has been done and now you get to, I don't know, do blank, you know? Yeah, no, it becomes a delight, right? Yeah. Uh, um, how freeing is it to know that you're, I mean, a good reformed way to put it is we don't obey as slaves, we obey as sons. That's not a reformed way to put it. It's a biblical way to put it. But really, like when you are, when, you, when you're obeying as a slave, this like servile fear, I guess some of the older writers would put it, you know, that's that's not the kind of obedience that, that we're enabled to give to the Lord. You know, once we're saved, we're able to, to obey as sons and daughters who have been, who have been redeemed. And we know that we're never going to fall out of that our father's hands you know he's always going to love us that's the kind of love that we get to obey out of you know the law doesn't come to us to crush us anymore it comes to us in the hand of christ you know as a good gift for us to follow um, that's, that's, a, Dang. that's like that i like that bro the law doesn't come what did you say the law doesn't yeah, come to crush I mean, us it's a, I mean, it's a huge point the law doesn't crush us we're no longer no longer under the laws of covenant of works i mean law and gospel plays into this whole thing as well mm -hmm. you know not just seeing christ in various ways whether that's how every point of theology somehow reaches its pinnacle in christ or whether it's legitimate typology through like 
prophets, priests, kings, sacrifices, whether it's the unfolding of the story that, you know, reaches Christ, it's also important to keep in mind, like, the, the covenants. And I think that's what's so, you know, important and, and helpful about at least, you know, our kind of, you know, theological corner of the church is that we, we see the scripture as, as, you know, or we see these various covenants operating at different points in scripture, you know? And so we have to understand like law gospel is really a way of talking about the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, of course we're, we're called to obey the law as people who have been saved and, and welcomed into the kingdom of grace, but we obey the law as those who received grace, Right. Grace mm-hmm. is still one thing and law is still another thing. But without mm-hmm. grace, all the law can do is crush you. It can just tower mm-hmm. over you like Sinai, point his finger at you, and, and you die. You know, that's yeah. all the law is able to do. Yeah. But once we're once we receive grace, you know, so that also has to factor into how we're seeing, yes. you know, uh, this Christ centered way of, of talking about scripture. Yes. <laughs> that's that's perfect because this season we're actually going to talk about law and gospel. Mm. Um, it's going to be really interesting because Christ-centered preaching, understanding of the Bible goes hand in hand with that. Because, and and, and I, that's a, that's a concept that I hadn't even heard of. And maybe even our listeners right now is like law and gospel, like they kind of get the gist of what that means, you know, law and gospel distinction. Mm. But it, it's such a beautiful way to 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 do differentiate. Yeah, I can't say that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but also, you know, you see the harmony and and the purpose of of, of both the law and gospel. So we're going to talk about that for sure in more detail later. Mm-hmm. If anybody tells you you don't distinguish between law and gospel, don't buy whatever they're selling. Like it's 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 absolutely biblical. Paul talked like that, and I don't even think you always have to caveat it by saying, well. If, Paul, Paul could actually use the law as shorthand for this covenant that kills you. Now, of course, we know the co- we know the law is good and righteous and holy, and we're the ones who are messed up, right? Mm-hmm. But let's not try to like be more pious in the way we talk about it than, than Paul himself. Like we can say the law will kill you. We can also say because of grace, we are unable to obey the law. Like Cato said, you know, with this delight, you know, both both are true. But you have to keep the two separate, or it just, you know. Everything comes crashing down if you don't. Yes. So, what are so talking about law and gospel, seeing Christ in the Old Testament? What are what are some common texts that you think that get abused, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, that having a good understanding of Christ in all Scripture and distinguishing between law and gospel could help us avoid well i think we talked a lot about the old testament so let's talk about the new testament yeah because i think christ-centered preaching gets you know rightly so there's a lot of emphasis on how do you preach christ in the old testament because that's where we think man jesus isn't there he hasn't even come yet you know we can we can talk more about that but but in the new testament even even people think well how could of course i'm preaching christ because let's say i'm preaching the story of let's just say i'm preaching the story of the the good samaritan right oh, yeah. mm-hmm. jesus is telling a parable mm-hmm. Jesus is in my sermon. He's talking with this person who said, who's, who's my neighbor, right? And so, you know, we think that we're just, we're just preaching or teaching this, this, we're just repeating Jesus' teaching about how do you love your neighbor? What does true neighborly love look like? You know, don't be like the two dudes that cross the street and walk on the other side. Be like the Samaritan who came and loved this guy who was beaten up 
who sacrificially gave, you know, money to put him in the inn, you know, have him taken care of, said, I'll pay anything when I get back. And then, you know, Jesus asks, is it the scribe? He says, you know, who was the neighbor? And he says, well, the one who showed compassion. Go you and do likewise. And the point of the sermon is we need to be compassionate Christians. And who are you showing compassion to? Who, who in your life needs your compassion and, and you're not showing compassion to? How are you being like the guy who walked on the other side of the street? You know, all of those things are good. We need to be compassionate Christians. That is one of the points of the parable. It's one of the main points. But until we see ourselves as the dude that's beaten up with no hope at all, laying bleeding out on the side of the road, Mm. as the one who is helpless and rescued by the ultimate neighbor. Who is the ultimate neighbor in this story? Who is the one who goes? Samaritans and Jews are enemies. They don't, they don't mix. They, he would be the one who would go on the other side of the road. Not that, you know, that these Jewish religious leaders should have been the ones running to help him, but it's the enemy that comes and rescues his enemy. Yes. Or should we say the friend of sinners who comes and rescues us when we're beaten up and destroyed mm-hmm. by the law? Grace comes and picks us up when we can't pick ourselves up. And mm-hmm. so until we understand that, we'll never know what it really looks like to show compassion. You know, we can show some some compassion, but we only can we can only show love and compassion out of the love and compassion we receive from the ultimate neighbor. And so there's just one example. You know, I don't know that that's original with with me like i think i read it in a book by jack klumpenhauer show them jesus i know i've heard bits and pieces of these things but we have to start looking at the bible this way you know (laughs) otherwise you can preach christ and never preach christ you can preach christ and someone will go away with moralism and have no hope in the gospel so that's just why it's really important bro why you like i think while you're talking you could you could see it and you kind of explain it to you but it's like a little switch right now that, that that just happened we're, we're we're talking about this text specifically the good samaritan and most of the time mm-hmm. yes people say well you know who have you who have you overpassed and and not helped your neighbor like we need to help our neighbors more as christians you know we have the holy spirit you know that's that's the way that most people go about that text but there's like a little switch when we see ourselves and then you insert yourself as the person who is there lying on that street and in need of help and then could made that connection with the ultimate savior the perfect savior that would pick you up and give you more than you deserve and more than more than uh, you ever want being an enemy of god like that's that's the big boom that's why i played that little sound effect of the other applausos you know because that's that's the point and 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 that's so impact impactful and powerful Absolutely. And, and so, like, you know, we always talk about don't look for yourself in Scripture. You know, you're not the point of the story. Look for Jesus in Scripture. You should look for yourself, you know. But I think usually, in most cases, you should look for yourself either in the person who needs rescued or the, the loser in the story. <laughs> you know, the story of Bartimaeus, you know, when he's, you know, begging by the side of the road. You know, the, the crowds are, like, thronging around Jesus. And here's this beggar who's, who's in need. He's blind. He's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds are shutting him up, you know. You know, I really think we, we often try to see ourselves in, in Jesus who comes along and heals the blind man. He's so kind to him. We're the crowds. We're the crowds that don't even let our own hearts cry out to Jesus because we're so full of ourselves that we get in our own way. You know, we need to be able to step aside and, and, and truly call out from a point of, of desperation, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
So mm-hmm. as long as you always see yourself as the hero in the story, you're probably going to miss Jesus because he's the only hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dang. Being that like our our podcast is by Latinos for Latinos primarily, mm-hmm. whether you are Spanish speaking in like 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 a Spanish speaking country or you're living in the United States but have this Latino background, <clears throat> you doing ministry in in Cuba, mm-hmm. how or what have you noticed about the the response to this like switch? Because I feel like Christ centered. Like this way of doing the Bible hasn't been, it's not, it's not very common or it hasn't been going on for a, lo- a lot of time. It's actually the opposite where like, it's very legalistic and very Bible. It like kind of tells you how to, like what to do and how to do it right, basically. So what has been your experience in noticing like how the people that you and that you do like, like that you've done live with in Cuba? Yeah, I mean... In one sense, I think that the response is the same as the response anywhere. I mean, I know, I know you're getting at like the real right. connection, but I mean, the reason it's mind blowing for a white guy he grew up in Mexico, and it's mind blowing for you know a Hispanic going to an OPC or was going you know in, in Reno, and it's mind blowing for this Afro-Cuban pastor that I speak with is because this is the way the Bible is written, and so I think that when we get to application that really bring it home and how does it supposed to like play out in the way you live is where our various like ethnicities and cultural contexts and callings whether you know husband wife mother father all that kind of stuff our identities as individuals and as groups can kind of come in a little bit more to play you know in the application and bringing this home like what do we do with this but too often we try to read our 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 that identity back into the scripture when we don't we don't necessarily need that lens what we need is like the lens of the cross mm. if we can actually learn to see jesus in scripture you know the the putting into practice of all that is going to look unique in cuba you know mm. when you talk about what does it mean to love my neighbor what does it mean to submit to authority mm. what does it mean to do mm. church in a context mm. where there's while there's not overt religious persecution there's you know behind the scenes kind of, you know, unwritten rules, so to speak, you know, so I, I, that's something I'm afraid of in some ways. I'm afraid of this idea that I think is, it's not, you said it's new. It is kind of new in the sense that it's new in our modern context. It's an ancient way of reading scripture that really is lost. You know, if anybody tells you it started the 1980s with Clowney, it didn't, you know, people say that it started with the ancient church fathers and and as always, there's always been, there's always been this kind of reading of scripture. But one thing I think is in our context, I think what's dangerous is moving away from like Christ-centered reading to reading my own group or my own identity, you know, and seeing how I can find that throughout scripture. Mm. I think you need to continue to find Christ and then apply that to your group or to your identity mm-hmm. because your foremost identity is Christ, you know, yes. everything else is going to be secondary, important, but secondary to that. And scripture only has one main point. So we can't say, well, this is the point. If you're like in an African context, this is the point. Like if you're in, you know, Uruguay, this is the point. If you're like in a white context, it's, it's, you know, the point of scripture is Christ, how he applies, you know, grace to sinners in need and then how that grace transforms us. But then the playing out of that is going to look different. And so what I'm seeing in Cuba, uh, to get back to that part of your question, 
is that there are people. I mean, I'm starting to discover there are people and pockets of churches that get this. So that's really exciting, like to network with those people. But there, there's just for so long, you know, people have you know either been tied up with like kind of prosperity, not really prosperity in the sense we know it, but just a more kind of like emotionally driven kind of preaching and understanding of scripture. I think that there's, you know, in Latino culture, I think that, you know, I speak as one that grew up in it, but I am outside of it. But I think there is a lot more of the, the heart, so to speak, it seems to be in the pulpit and, and a lack of some of the academic training, whatever that looks like, you know, that's a whole other topic. But like, I think that, you know, what we always kind of rag on maybe like a, a more cold culture, you know, that's that's white American culture or European culture would be so much head and not so much emotion. Yeah, that's good. I think I asked that question for two reasons. Like in Cuba, just talking to, I think when, when Aldo and I started, like the first couple of times that we would go, like talking to a couple of like the, the church members and just sharing like this, just just talking to them about like the way that we we've like been reading through a certain book of the bible or something right and i think a comment that i've heard from a couple that i'm like really close to is how this type this way of preaching can make it seem to the congregation that they kind of like what you were saying earlier like you just get stuck on like gratitude and like you don't do and so like where then is the motivation to help them do like and how do you present that without sounding legalistic or like yeah like that makes sense so yeah that was kind of like what i would get from what 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 if the conversations that we've had about the way that they've processed like reading a certain scripture in a more like crystal centric way and then also thought of this question because like me gr- growing up in Colombia, I grew up Catholic and Catholicism, or at least the way that I was introduced to God was like, almost like a scary God, like kind of like this, like Jesus was not really, Jesus was baby Jesus. And like, you just see him as like El Niño Dios and there's no real connection. He's still crucified. Like he's shown on like the cross crucified, but like, there's no, like, that's not, or at least when, when I would go to, where I would go to church, like I, I didn't, I, that didn't connect. And it was just like God. And like, you need to confess your sins. And if you don't confess, then there's like consequences and things like that. And so I guess going from that to seeing like the Bible as like, not this like God who is like angry at you, even though like he rightly like f- with sinners like he can't commune with as a holy God, he can't like have a relationship with sinners. And but then that's where the the Jesus like that's where Jesus comes in and he comes like this, the Savior that is talked about throughout all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was like part of like why I guess I emphasize like the Latino culture. Even though I, I agree, like, I feel like that applies to, like, everyone. Just Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the natural it's the natural inclination of the human heart to want to move away from grace and move back to works. I mean, I really think that's, since the fall, that has been hardwired into our hearts and only the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit will rooted out. And I don't think it'll ever be completely rooted out, you know, until Christ it's finally returns, you know? Yes. Uh, you know what, like, even talking about us as Latinos, one of the things... 
that I've seen in my experience is that we we as Latinos want that in preaching. We want and we know like we think like it's good preaching cuando el pastor te da like pa pa when he's like puts down the law and says wow like wow like I'm so like you know like man like I'm so convicted like I'm so convicted of that and it's it's, it's pura like lay like he puts it down rightly like he's talking about you're not like this and you should be like this and you should be like that and it it hits us and you're like wow que impactoso like you know yeah we're we're like that it's the least impactful kind of preaching you know I mean you go away you're super convicted and then you're paralyzed yeah nothing happens and so I mean seriously I I like to say you know Christ is a footnote in your sermon your sermon will be a footnote in the unchanged hearts of your congregation Mm. your hearts will not change if you don't preach Christ if all you're doing is like tirando rocasos you know all the time like man I'm just really getting good today and they go home and they're all beat up there, there, that's not. That's just not the way Christianity was designed to function. That's not the way our relationship with Christ is designed to grow, and it's not mm-hmm. the way obedience is motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, because all you're doing there is like you are horrible. You know, sometimes uh, <laughs> people need to be told they're screwing up. You know, I mean, in a in a loving way, I think that's what Paul if, does, right? Paul. I mean, so if, if if someone's hard hearted. You know, you go look at the Art of Prophecy by William Perkins. He has like a list of six different kinds of people to remember when you're preaching. Maybe it's six. And, you know, it's hard to get them all. But some people are so hard hearted, they need like to have the fire of the law lit under them, you know. But if you do that and that's all you do, then what you've just done is you've burned to a crisp that poor, broken conscience that just needs to hear like, God loves you, Mm. you know. And Jesus said he won't do that to you. He won't break the, the crooked stick, right? He won't he won't quench the, the smoking flax. Like he he doesn't come to like to snuff you out. He comes to redeem you and to change you. And so preaching has to have both of those things, you know. That's, That's good. So good. That's so That's good. So, mm-hmm. Okay, so we're at the last part of our podcast and it's something that we like to call uh, theology for your back pocket what we do here is we kind of summarize everything we talked about mm-hmm. and after that summary we kind of apply it in a bite-sized way that we could fit in our pocket and think about dwell on apply it in our day-to-day lives so mm-hmm. what are some practical ways of reading of reading the scripture like this understanding the bible like this what are the practical ways for for people for people for, for, for Latinos living here in the United States on a David's life. Yeah, I think that remembering where you're at in the story is more important than finding uh, yourself in the story that you're reading. And I mean the big story of Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, remembering that right now we're talking about, you know, this early point of Scripture where the fall has happened and grace has started to be revealed to Abraham, but things are still pretty fuzzy. And then walking through, you know, you have the creation, fall, and then redemption spans most of Scripture. But you see grace kind of unfolding along the way um, until you come to the cross of Christ, you know. And in this time between the times, so to speak, if you're reading your New Testament, remember, what what is the Lord trying to teach me? As someone who's just living as a normal, redeemed human being, you know, in, in my context, while I await his return to so creation, fall, redemption, consummation, we're kind of in that between redemption and consummation moment, you know. So remember the big picture. Don't read it and just say, okay, well, what is the thing that I'm doing wrong and need to fix? 
but how does it show me the grace that actually fixes me, you know? And, and as you're reading, always, I think, you know, we haven't really talked about it much, but the only way to really make this happen is pray, you know? The Holy Spirit, we're told, actually illumines our heart to understand the Scripture. And I think that it stands to reason if this is the right way to understand Scripture, we can trust that as we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, that's the understanding He's going to give us. So you're not on your own. You don't have to learn, like, you have to go to seminary and, and learn, like, you know, all of the different paradigms and, you know, way to do this or that, like, something even more powerful than that. And I think that something we can all do is pray, you know, and trust that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes, you know, to, to understand this better. How does seeing Jesus in Genesis all the way to Revelation affect our day-to-day? Everything you do uh, in life as a Christian should be to God's glory. And if you want to understand what that means, you have to understand how the entire the entire plan of God for redeeming you and bringing Him the greatest glory is unfolded in Scripture. You know, and as soon as you start to stray from that, you know, and you think, well, in my day-to-day, how do I just get God to like me you know I mean don't we always fall back Mm -hmm. on that it's like man I just feel like God really doesn't like me at the end of this day or we think gosh I have I have been a stellar Christian today like (laughs) I have really been on my game like today has been awesome and we think man feel so tight with the Lord because like I this has been perfect you know so whether it's falling off the side of of like despair because we don't believe the gospel or falling off the side of self-justification self-righteousness because we're not believing the gospel understanding Jesus from Genesis to Revelation how it's all about him and all about the gospel I think is the only way to keep us from you know going to either side and and really mm-hmm. walking the the life that that we've been called to as Christians what better like reminder for like the Christmas season because I feel like Christ gets lost within the just in the whole like the festivities and how how is Jesus the reason for the season <laughs> so yeah, yeah this that's is a like good one. Well, like going to you know, going to what we talked about with like, how do we obey not as slaves but as sons? The only way to do it is to see like this big picture unfolding. My favorite Christmas verse, if you, if there are really Christmas verses, you know, but Galatians four four to five. When the time had fully come, so there's this plan, and the time God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And now by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, you know? And so that's that's the big story in a nutshell that we celebrate at Christmas. Wow. And that's the big story of Scripture. Bro, that is a perfect Christmas Christmas verse, um, verse right there, bro. <laughs> wow. Dang. I never even... That's so good, bro. That's law gospel for Christmas. Sorry. Yes. That's crazy. Wow. Well, there you go. There you go. So... Thank you so much, Dan, for coming coming with us and explaining this to us. It's been a blast. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you for, for, for coming along. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hopefully you guys... Navidad. With this, yeah, Feliz Navidad. Hopefully with this whole COVID thing. I know it's messed up a lot of Christmases, plans and viajes and whatever you were going to do. But, you know, God is still ruler and he's sovereign and whatever. We'll be back in January. 2021 for season officially season number three if you guys liked what you heard today from dan make sure to go follow him instagram i found him on twitter you're on twitter right el faro de redención mm-hmm. is on twitter and the podcast is 
in Apple Podcasts and wherever people listen to podcasts, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you can find us anywhere. Yep. Yes, yes. All the, all the, on all the social media, it's, it's at Faro de Redención. I'm on Twitter as mm-hmm. at Warren. Maybe you can put that in the show notes or something. I love to connect. And yeah, thanks again for listening. Yeah, go subscribe to his podcast because it's it's short. It has a little some music like we talked about, but also like, bro, like you get right into it, like right into the point. Like our show, we kind of like, you know, play around and then we kind of get there. Like you're very like you'll get there and you're like, boom, powerful, like 15 minutes. And, yeah, it's so out you know what i mean practical powerful christ-centered and boom it's just like wow this is it's great bro so if anybody uh wants a new podcast listen to it's also like i said a podcast that you could share to your tia your grandma your mom your tío you know everybody because it's in spanish and and we're all about that we're all about giving biblical biblical sound teaching to nuestra gente so Jesus Christ, we love you, God. Last but not least, thanks for listening to another episode, a bonus episode of For Christ y Cultura. Like we always say, we are unapologetically Christian, unapologetically Latinos, unapologetically dope. Find us wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. And stay tuned for season three, yes. which is coming up very, very soon. And leave us a voicemail at 775-391-0704. And you might get on the show. And a couple of you guys already already left voicemails. And we have not... We have not told you that we listen to them on air but just know that we've listened to them and they're coming and we're responding and you're going to be on the show next season so we've listened to it thank you for showing all all the love for sure yes all right so for crazy cultura peace peace jesus christ we love you god <laughs>